The scripture verse from this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, and we're reading from uh, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. This Advent season, we're looking at Christmas carols and finding themes of hope that are tucked away in in these tunes that many of us have sung for most of our lives. And today, we, just a few minutes ago, we sang the carol, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. It was written by an American pastor, Edmund Sears. In 1849, it was a time when America was booming. You had the Industrial Revolution. Uh, You had uh, people were seeking wealth as uh, the culture expanded westward. You also had intensifying conflict over slavery, which would result in civil war a decade later. And in that context, um, in the babel sounds of that chaos, um, Sears wrote this carol. And today I want to encourage you to meditate on the third stanza we sang. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil among the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Finding rest, would you agree, finding rest at Christmas time seems impossible. And, and, if, and if you don't think it's impossible, it's at least counterproductive. The poor postal workers, the poor... Uh, I hear my mail truck and the UPS truck and the FedEx truck going, speeding up and down my street at 7 a.m. 7 a.m., and we've got a UPS guy who worships with us. Yes, God bless you. Rest along the weary road and hear the angels sing. Did you know, on Black Friday, at the end of November, Amazon, Amazon raked in 50% of of sales for that day. 50% of all the merchandise bought on Black Friday was bought through Amazon. So you can just imagine the, the Amazon's packing employees, the people who put what you order in boxes and put labels on them, they're overwhelmed. And, and the proof of it is that they're, they're sending people things they didn't order. And it happened to me. I ordered a book for the church on shepherding for our elder training. And, <laughs> and not only did they send me the book for the church, they sent me a free bag of dog food. I, I don't even own a dog. 
So it's like it's like some kind of money making scheme, you know. Hey, let's uh, uh, whoever buys theology books, we'll put a free bag of dog food in there, and we'll make millions. It'll be beautiful. I, so you know, I, I I don't. Did we keep the dog food? I don't even know where it is. Did we give it? We should. If you have a dog that doesn't, ha- I even asked Cynthia White. See, she's like, our dogs have irritable stomachs, so <laughs> no treats for our dogs. So I don't. If you want, if your dog can manage it, Ethan got it. All right, are they okay? Well, you can thank the confused Amazon employees for that one. But they're overwhelmed. It's that kind of time of year. And so this carol is for them. It's for the UPS and postal drivers and packaging employees. Come rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. But I I think the carols, I got to be honest, I think the carols for me also. Uh, the holidays bring stress on somebody like me because I am a, a slightly introverted perfectionist. So uh, all the social activity combined with extra tasks, uh, it, it wears me down. It makes me weary. And then when I get weary, I get depressed. And I have a hard time on holidays And just to give you an example, the first snowfall we had a week and a half ago, I was frantically trying, thankfully Becky helped me that day, to rake up all of our leaves because I still had to put down the winter guard uh, that last, you know, if you want, if you're vain like me and you own a suburban yard and you want your grass to look decent next next spring, you got to put something down, they say. Uh, before the snow falls. And I, I thought, wow, the snow is coming in about three hours. I have to rake all these leaves up. And, and so, thankfully, um, my children blessed me with half a rake. <laughs> I, I found half a rake in my shed, and, and, and I raked my yard with half a rake because the other half of it was broken. Now, in my house, we have lots of kids, so when you ask who did this, the answer is always, I don't know. And, and so we, we actually have a seventh child we've never met. And that child's name is I don't know. Because whenever something happens in our house, it's who did this? Where did this come from? How did this break? Well, I don't know. So courtesy of my unseen child, I don't know, I had a broken rake on which I had to, um, with which I had to work. And, and so this carol is a reminder to me an invitation to me, Brian, rest. Rest, Brian, and hear the angels sing. That song they sang 2,000 years ago when Jesus of Nazareth was born. Peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom God's favor rests. It's ironic that at Christmas time, uh, it, especially when, now if you're a Christian, at Christmas time you may especially be aware of the grace of God and of the hope of the gospel. And yet it's ironic that at Christmas time especially, people are stressed out. Because we have, look, it's the end of the calendar year also. So we have deadlines for work. We have financial deadlines, tax deadlines. We're stressed about family conflict. We're seeing those relatives again, right? If you're familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien, you're going to see the Sackville Bagginses again at the end of December. Those relatives that are related to you and you're stressed about what the holiday is going to look like when you sit down for dinner together. If you're not stressed, maybe you're exhausted because of the schedule that you have, because of your work, because of all the planning that goes into this time of year. 
Maybe you're not stressed or exhausted. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're all three. Maybe you're depressed because, look, people you love have died. You've experienced real losses, and they're not with you this Christmas. And, and this time of year, you, you feel that loss in a unique way. Maybe you're depressed because you're comparing yourself to others who seem to be having a better Christmas than you are. At least that's what their Facebook and Instagram accounts reveal, that they're having a better, more beautiful, more peaceful time than you are. So we're stressed, we're exhausted, we're depressed. There, there, is, there seems to be no clinical documentation that people get more stressed or depressed during the holidays. However, the Mayo Clinic published an article on their website that is entitled Stress, Depression, and the Holidays, Tips for Coping. So if the Mayo Clinic is publishing an article about this, it, it must be a cultural phenomenon. And so maybe you're struggling today or you've been struggling recently or maybe you feel like you've been weary for a very long time. So this carol is also for you. Rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. And today I want to show you that Christmas reminds us to rest in God alone, as Ed said earlier. And I want to talk to you about the rest that we've lost and the rest that we typically seek after and the rest that is offered to us. The rest that we have lost, the rest that we now seek for, and the rest that God alone gives. So the rest that we lost was something that originally humanity enjoyed with its creator. If you read the creation account in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you see this repetitive pattern. At the end of every creation day, there's this phrase, and there was evening and there was morning the first day or the fifth day. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Uh, but on the seventh day, that literary pattern breaks. And this is what we're told at the end of Genesis chapter, two, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had, cho that he had done in creation. You don't see that evening and morning interchange because on the seventh day, God rested. And theologians say that God remained in that rest and that God is still in that rest. The concept of seven-day periods was a familiar thing in the ancient world, but only the ancient Israelites had this concept of blessing the seventh day. Only in ancient Israel did they worship a creator who stopped creating and said the seventh day is holy, I am blessing it. Because that's the day on which I stop. That's the day on when I stop working. So Adam and Eve enjoyed God's rest in his presence. And even for Adam and Eve, work was restful. Because they shared communion with their creator. They were perfect. They were good. They were holy. They knew God. They weren't separated. They, didn't, they weren't afraid of God. 
They weren't confounded by the mystery of their creator like you and I are. And so even for Adam and Eve, work was restful. They lived in the rest of God. So ultimately, when they sinned, uh, they were rejecting God's wisdom. They were rejecting God's abundant provision. And he banished them from his presence. And so from that point on, they left the rest of God. They lost it. That's when we lost that kind of rest. When God banished us as sinful from his presence. So that is when work became toil. So the the carol, Sears, talks about toil while he sang. And this is what toil is. It's, It's any work that is divorced from the joy of God and the purpose of God. Any work that you do that is divorced from God's joy and from God's purpose is toil. And toil is when work doesn't lead to rest, but just more work. And there is no rest for that kind of weary. So on a path away from your creator, you cannot know true rest. That's what we see in the Bible. And it's actually in Psalm 96 where the psalmist is encouraging his listeners to trust in the Lord alone. And the Lord says to them in Psalm 96, for 40 years, he's referring to the Israelites while they were wandering around in the desert after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And God recalled that generation because they, they saw amazing things by the hands of Moses. Uh, God was working through Moses. And they still rejected God despite what they saw. And this is what God recalled. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who goes astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore an oath in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. So when you read through the Old Testament scriptures, all of redemptive history from God's promise to Abraham to this this developing concept of a coming Messiah, God's true king who would restore justice and peace and reconciliation with humanity and God. This, the whole process in the Old Testament, it's all a returning to that rest that humanity lost. It's all a return to that. So that the psalmist in another place, David in Psalm 62 says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. So rest then is the result of active faith. That's where this rest comes from. This is how God's rest is restored to anyone who's willing to receive it. It's an act of faith Trusting in God as your fortress, trusting God as your life's foundation, trusting in God's wisdom, not your own wisdom, trusting in God's abundant provision, not your ability to provide for yourself or not others ability to provide for or protect you. God provides, God protects, God is all knowing, trusting him. That is where rest comes from according to the ancient Hebrews. 
But the rest that people seek, right, the, typically the type of rest that we desire has nothing to do with faith in God. It was through the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah that God described how Israel had rejected his rest, which he was completely willing to give to them. In Jeremiah 6, the Lord says this through the prophet, From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. See, even the religious, even, even the clergy, everyone's at it. God went further on to say in Jeremiah chapter 6, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. The theologian John Calvin divided all of humanity up into two groups. He basically said, there are two types of people on the planet. There are those who are religiously self-righteous and there are those who are secularly satisfied. Now, those are my own words summing up what he wrote. There are two kinds of people on the planet, Calvin believed. And I think he was right because I think he got it out of the Bible. There are people who are self-righteous because they're trusting in their moral ability and their moral record their good religion, and there are people who are just happy being completely separated from God and wanting nothing to do with him and just enjoying the world as exalted animals who can do what they want and can find what they want and can live on their own. Now, to those who are in the second category, those who are secularly satisfied, you know, people who don't believe they need God, that they're okay with who they are, with what they are, with what they have, with who they know. I would consider the wisdom of the teacher from the book of Ecclesiastes, who looked at life from that vantage point and came to this conclusion. I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. Another English translation says, all was meaningless. All was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The teacher in Ecclesiastes said further in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. So the Bible even looks at life from that secular perspective. And the conclusion it comes to is this, that much of the good we do is simply keeping up appearances. And all the good we do, apart from our creator, ultimately has no purpose. But to those who are religiously self-righteous, to people who take hope and find faith not in God but in their own goodness they're no better off the Bible says it was the apostle Peter who heard and saw Jesus what he did and what he said and when the church was exploding and growing in the ancient Roman world 
You can read about this in Acts chapter 15. Uh, the first Christians were Jewish, but, now, but then Gentiles started following Jesus. And the Jews thought, well, Jesus was Jewish and he fulfilled the Old Testament law. So I guess Gentiles have to become Jewish if they're going to follow Jesus. And Peter, who is a good, a good Jewish boy, Peter showed up at an important meeting where all the apostles were there and the elders from the church in Jerusalem were there. And Peter said, now, wait a minute, and I'll, I'll quote, I'll, I'll show you exactly what he said. He said, that's not the case. Don't put certain restrictions on people just because they want to follow Jesus. The law is good, but following Jesus is not about following the law. It is about following a person and don't bind people to rules that Jesus hasn't instituted for them. And this is how Peter summed it up. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Now, what Peter was saying there as a good Jewish boy was our ancestors, none of them could obey God's law, could fulfill it perfectly. So why are you asking others to try and do that? And now the context, I've been setting you up for Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And the context of Matthew chapter 11 is that Jesus was denouncing all the towns and villages that had seen his great miracles but rejected him. But said, wow, that's, I like the hocus pocus, but you know what? I'm not interested in your message. And he was pointing out that the religious professionals, the religious establishment, the scribes, and the Pharisees had also rejected him and had rejected the person who came before him, John the Baptist, his cousin. That's the context. He was denouncing and pronouncing woes upon all the villages and all the leaders who had rejected his message. And in that context, I want you to hear again the words from Jeremiah 6. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And it is in this context now uh, that we can begin to understand what Jesus is saying. Come to me, those who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Whether you are striving to keep God's law like a moralist, or whether you are striving by your own law, divorced from the God of the universe. Either way, those two categories John Calvin gave us, either way you're living your life, it's all toil. Therefore, we live as though, pe- we, live as though we are people who are crushed beneath the load of life, whose forms are bending low. As the carol says. And you know for some of us. Some of us we've been crushed. By others right. And for some of you you've been crushed. By what people have done to you. What the system has done to you. What the world has done to you. For some of us we crush ourselves. Yeah. Usually we're either crushed by others. So that we're afflicted or we're self-inflicted by the crushing loads we place on ourselves. And we're stressed, and we're exhausted, and we're depressed. And of course, Christmas is not going to make any of that better. Because the rest that you're seeking is a departure from God's wisdom. It's a departure from God's provision. 
Well, no wonder we can't have any rest. You can find relaxation. You can find solitude. But the kind of rest that God offers you, the kind of rest that Adam and Eve had, the kind of rest that we were designed to enjoy, we can't have it apart from receiving our creator, from trusting in his wisdom, trusting in his provision and not our own. And so Jesus offers true rest, and that is why he came to us. And so finally, we'll get to today's scripture passage. Come to me, Jesus said, in the context of all the villages and all the leaders who had rejected him. He said to his disciples and to anyone who was willing to listen, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Sound familiar? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus did not say, come to me, all of you who are pleased with yourselves and enjoying an admirable reputation. Jesus did not say, come to me, all of you who are healthy and rosy cheeked and feeling really chill right now. He said, those of you who labor, those of you who are heavily burdened. The Greek word there for labor, labor it meant weariness. And, and in the context of that word throughout the New Testament, it could have meant weariness from physical exhaustion, which I know some of us are exhausted, or it could have meant weariness from grief, which I know it means. Come to me all who are, who, all who labor and are heavy laden. So are you tired? Are you sad? Jesus offers you rest. But on his terms, see, not on your terms. God's rest doesn't come on your terms. To have God's rest, you have to receive God's ways. So you have to you have to lay down. The crushing burdens that you've accumulated, and that is a very practical way of looking at faith. What is faith? It's very practically laying down the crushing burdens that you've accumulated. Now, some of those burdens have been placed on you. You didn't ask for them, but you've been carrying them for a long time. And you need to lay them down. Some of you, we all do this, but some of those burdens you've put on your own back. And you've got to lay those down also. Because we sang in another Christmas carol this morning that that baby was born to die. And so the manger teaches us something, but the cross also teaches us something. It's, on, it's through that cross that Jesus says, hey, those burdens that are crushing you, I've got them. The burdens that people have put on you, the burdens that you've placed upon yourself and the burden that you can't do anything about, the burden, the guilt that you have and the shame that you have because of your sin, your rebellion against your creator and your inability to follow his moral law. All of that, I've got it. I've got all of it. I carried those burdens to the cross. So they're not yours anymore. 
put them down. Put them down. Because Jesus already took them. In Psalm 127, if you know the Psalms, you know how that one begins. Unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers labor in vain. More of this meaningless talk about toil from Ecclesiastes. But in Psalm 127, it goes on with these words. It is in vain that you rise early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, rest, of course, as one scholar puts it, rest doesn't mean inaction. We're not talking about laziness. Or sloth. Receiving the rest that Jesus offers is all about discipleship. It's, it's, it's that you have a new burden now. You lay down everything you've been carrying all this time and you pick something else up. Except Jesus gives you this burden. And he says, this is a different kind of burden. Because this isn't the kind of burden that weighs you down. It's the kind of burden that moves you forward. He says, my burden is light. My yoke is is easy. And here's why. Because his burden, his yoke, is grace. Christmas is all about the greatest gift that the world has ever received. So Jesus' gift is full of grace. And you discover when you pick it up and follow him and learn from his wisdom and trust in his provision for your life, you begin to realize that you're not just following a list of rules. And getting down on yourself when you break them. Or letting, getting down on yourself when other people accuse you of breaking them. Or of when Satan, who is our spiritual adversary, points a finger at you and says, you'll never live up to other people's opinion and ex- expectations of you. And you'll never live up to God's law. You, re- you see that happening and you, you stop it. And you say to yourself, no, no, I just messed up. I am a sinner. And I've hurt people and I've hurt myself. But you know what? Jesus died for those burdens. I don't have to carry them anymore. And so active faith is saying, right, that's right. Jesus died for those burdens and I no longer carry them. And what I carry is his yoke, which is the love of God that can never be taken away from me. And now I realize that Jesus's yoke is not a list of rules that I may break. Jesus' yoke is a commitment to him. It's to a person. Isn't it easier to follow somebody that you love? Isn't it easier to follow someone who has given himself to you? It's not just about following a bunch of requests and rules. It's about following a person. That's the yoke of Jesus. And he says, I'll give you this if you're willing to lay down that. And if you're a Christian, it is inconsistent and just foolish now to keep carrying a burden that Jesus has already taken to the cross and nailed it there. And so faith continually is reminding ourselves, I don't pick, that is not my burden anymore. And I shouldn't take it up again. And I shouldn't, certainly should not lay it on another person. So trusting Jesus is to enter again into God's blessed rest by faith. Because Jesus is the one who alone knows God's wisdom and God's provision. What Adam and Eve had that they rejected and lost. 
Um, and actually, uh, I'm going to go backwards now and, and show you Matthew 11, verse 27. Because now we have the right context for what Jesus said just earlier. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So as a disciple of Jesus, when you are willing to trust him and follow him and take his gentle, loving yoke upon yourself, now you have access to the wisdom of God. Now you have access to the provisions of God. And when Jesus lay in a manger, God's rest announced by the angels to the shepherds in Bethlehem, God's rest invaded the endless toil of humanity. And full victory, my friends, is coming. The Apostle John was given a vision of things that are yet to come, that began when Jesus was born and will be completed when he comes back. And I love, you know, at, when I do a funeral, usually, and if, just, just so that you know this, um, when, when I do a funeral, the last, the last words I speak are usually from Revelation chapter 21. You because know, when people are getting ready to commit their loved one to the earth, I've learned to not say much. Just read them, read them scripture. And this is just about the last thing I will say. I read from Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so the carol concludes with these words, For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when the new heaven and earth shall own the Prince of Peace, their King. And the whole world send back the song, which now the angels sing. Christmas reminds us to find rest in God alone. Control, security, they're illusions, my friends. The control you think you have of your life and of the people around you. The, the security you are toiling for. They are illusions. And so they're burdens you don't even know you're carrying and they are weighing you down and you're stressed by them and you're discouraged by them and we're depressed by them. So rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Peace on earth. Peace for you. Goodwill to those on whom God's favor Rests. So listen, by faith this Christmas, receive the rest of God. Enter into it by readjusting your expectations and your hope in Jesus alone. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you for Jesus' invitation to come to him, to give up the pretenses uh, that we've got our acts together, that we know enough, that we've done enough uh, to be what you've caused us to, to be, what you've designed us to be. We need you desperately. We need your son. And we ask that Jesus, by his spirit and through his word, along with his people, would give rest to the weary, to those who are burdened in this room, to those who feel they are crushed by the load of this life and its troubles, crushed by the expectations of people, discouraged by the fact that we're not living up to our own expectations. Father, may we find rest in Christ, knowing that he is enough. Amen.